Thank you very much, worship team. Thank you for being here. You know, there's a lot of people that make tonight possible. Uh, there's the ones you see up here, and then there are a whole bunch more you don't see. I've talked to some of them. I'm going to take the freedom to speak for all of them. This isn't about us. This is all about him. So would you do something with me? Would you give God a shout of praise tonight? You, you can have a seat. So my name is TJ Serchuk. I am honored and privileged to be here and to share with you. Our topic for tonight is called WWJD. And what would Jesus do? And specifically about holiness. How was Jesus holy? And therefore, how are we holy? But before we zoom in on that topic, I kind of feel like we need to zoom out to get some context. So if you happen to be here at the January night of worship, uh, I was speaking and uh, I referenced this thing that I like to call the eternal purpose or the eternal mission of God. What is that? Well, in Ephesians 3:11, it says that God is on an eternal mission. What is that mission? Colossians 1:20 tells us that it is to reconcile all things to himself through the person of Jesus Christ. Why is God on this mission? Revelation 7:9, so that one day there will be worshipers from every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation, people from everywhere gathered around the throne of King Jesus. That is the eternal mission of God. Why do we need to talk about that in order to talk about WWJD and holiness? What does that have to do with tonight? Everything. The second part of that eternal mission is that God wants to reconcile all things to himself. This is important because it means that God is on mission to reconcile. What does reconciliation mean? Reconciling is very simply something was together, it was broken, and it's put back together. Think about a bone. You fall, you break a bone. The bone was together, it is now apart. You go to a doctor and hope that that guy or girl knows what they're doing and reconcile it properly because bones protruding are nasty. So that is reconciliation, except that except we're not talking about bones, we're talking about our relationship with God. You see, all the way back before there was anything, there was God. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And after he created things, he created people, Adam and Eve the first man, the first woman. And he made them right. Genesis 1:27, which I believe is gonna pop up, says that, so God made mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What does this mean? It means that they were created perfect. They were created without sin. And they were created in relationship with God. There were no barriers in their relationship with God. Beyond that, in Romans, we find out that Adam and Eve are what's called our federal head. What they do holds up against us in court. So basically, if they enjoy a relationship with God, we're good. We enjoy a relationship with God. If they were to sin and mess it up, we mess it up. If they break that relationship, we need to be reconciled. They were created perfect and right in a relationship with God. But Genesis 1, 27 also says that they were made in the image of God. What does that mean, to be made in the image of God? Well, let me first tell you what I don't think it means. I don't think it has anything to do with physical appearance. In other words, I don't believe that God is a black guy, a brown guy, a white guy. No. John tells us that God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit. So it can't be about physical. So what might it be? My personal opinion is one of the elements of being created in the image of God is relationship. You see, God is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in perfect unity, harmony, and relationship with one another. 
and he made us in his image. He made us for relationship. Relationship with him, something all night I'm gonna refer to as our vertical. Oh, good. Okay, so, time out. So, this giant V means vertical. This giant H means horizontal. I'll explain them in a minute. This is the first I've seen them, and I'm really glad they're up there because that would have been really awkward, but thank you for sharing that moment with me as I was just like, oh, good, they made it. Okay, I was told they were gonna be there. Tech team, thank you. All right. So, God made us for relationship. Relationship with him, our vertical, and then relationship with one another. This is why loneliness is such a negative emotion for us. If you have ever felt lonely and felt like it wasn't just hitting you on the external, but was actually attacking the very core of your being, that is because the image of God in you is being abused at that moment. You weren't meant to be alone. We weren't meant to be alone. God created us. He made us in relationship with him. He made us in a vertical relationship, and it was great. We needed to be holy and perfect because he was holy and perfect. His character won't allow any sin into his presence, and so therefore we couldn't sin. We were in a relationship with God, we were holy because he is holy and it was good. As a result, our horizontal relationships were good, such as Adam with Eve, Adam and Eve with nature, and Adam and Eve with their work. Everything was good, everything was right. And then mankind messed it up. Humans chose to sin. We chose to break the relationship with God. Sin is our enemy because sin is against God, and therefore it damages the image of God in us and it damages our vertical relationship, our relationship with him. This is why God has been on an eternal mission to reconcile all things back to himself, because we messed it up. And if you were, happened to be here at any of the services last weekend, then you heard Pastor Kent talk about why the holiness and righteousness of Jesus is so important to us, because we can't be holy on our own, we need his holiness. Now. Perhaps you're here and you're thinking, you know, I think I got this. I think I can earn my way back. I think I can be holy enough on my own through hard work or religiosity or effort or anything like that. I think I can, you know, let me just save you a lot of time. You can't. <laughs> Nobody can. In fact, Romans uh, 3 tells us that there is no one righteous not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have tur together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And in case you're like, well, that's just one verse. Isaiah 64 tells us that all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. That means your good stuff is tainted. We're not even talking about the bad stuff yet. The good stuff is marred. You can't be holy on your own. When it comes to being holy on our own, we suck at it. We're so bad. We always have been. That is why we need Jesus. So if you have tried to come to God by your own religiosity or your own effort or your own holiness, let me invite you tonight to stop striving and to accept Jesus' righteousness on your behalf. You see, sin breaks our relationship with God. It also brings dire consequences. Because of sin, something has to die. You I, we have to die. But Jesus Christ died so we don't have to. And he makes his holiness and righteousness available so we can have it because we can't do it on our own. So tonight I'm going to invite you, if you're trying to do this on your own, stop. It's not going to work. And come to God through Christ. This is called the gospel. This is called salvation. You can be saved tonight. 
Jesus' righteousness available to us. In Romans 5, we read that since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Hebrews 13, we see that Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. This is what, if, you, if you're new to church or you're new to faith, and you're like, what's this whole salvation thing that they keep talking about? Born again, are you washed in the blood? I hope not. Yeah, that is weird when you think about it. But this is what we're talking about. Jesus' blood, his righteousness, his holiness for you, for me, because I can't do it on our own. You can be saved tonight. Now, perhaps, you're going, okay, thank you. That was good. What does that have to do with WWJD and holiness? Well, like we said, God has been on an eternal mission to reconcile people to himself, and we need to bring this up because how did Jesus work to reconcile people's relationship with God, and why is that important? Because reconciliation is the first necessary step towards holiness. We cannot be holy apart from God, so we need the vertical restored. While on earth, Jesus went to those around him, and specifically those who needed him the most. In fact, in Luke, Jesus himself says, I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. And then in Mark, he uses an analogy, and he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. I have come that they might have life. One of the main things Jesus did was to go to people who needed God the most. And interestingly enough, it was often the people who were rejected by the religious establishment. And he began to rebuild the relationship between them and his Father in heaven. Think about it. One of the worst things they called Jesus was the friend of sinners. Why did they call him that? Well, you got to understand, in that culture, to eat with a person, to share a meal with them, was to affirm them as a person. It was basically saying, I trust you. I'll do business with you. I'll do life with you. And where do we find Jesus throughout so much of his time on earth? At dinner parties and in people's homes having meals. And quite often with very questionable characters, he often ate dinner with a group of people called tax collectors. That is basically, in those days, those were the organized crime lords. Like this is the mafia kingpin. And he's eating with them. Oh, there was this one time where he had dinner at the house of a Pharisee. Hey, that's good. And then a woman, a prostitute, the Bible tells us, came into the dinner party uninvited and wrapped herself around Jesus' feet because there's probably nothing more awkward than that. He didn't condemn her or judge her or embarrass her. In fact, he affirmed who she was and he called her actions worship. I think that might be our first takeaway tonight. Jesus went to those who needed him. He didn't wait for them to come to him. He didn't wait for them to clean up their life or get it together. He sought them out. And what did he do once he got to them? He was their friend. He met their needs in any way he could. Sometimes that was physical, sometimes that was cultural, sometimes emotional, sometimes relational. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He healed the lame, the blind, the paralyzed, and on and on. The only people, the only people group Jesus had words of condemnation for were those who put up barriers between people and the God who was trying to reconcile them. That is probably our second takeaway and a bit of a warning for us. Often, in our attempts to be holy for God, we put barriers between God and the people who need to be reconciled. We're so worried about how we look that we actually put up barriers between God and the people he's coming after. We're supposed to build bridges of grace, not put up barriers of grace. 
what my barriers to grace look like, what am I talking about? Well, it could be as simple as that silent, judgmental look or the withholding of love and acceptance from somebody who looks differently, acts differently, dresses differently, believes differently, thinks differently, dates differently, anything differently than us. And we withhold love and acceptance from them. It's the idea that someone can earn more love from God or from us if they just perform or conform. Really, it is anything that creates an us versus them. Because when we get an us versus them, we, not God, have become the standard of holiness. And it's not biblical. These are all barriers created by us, not by God, that we put in front of people who need to be reconciled to God There's a Casting Crown song that has a line that says, Jesus, friend of sinners, the world is running after you, but they're tripping over me. That's what I mean by barriers. It's a scary thought, and Jesus had scary words for anybody who did it. So, what did Jesus do? He went to people. He was a friend to them by meeting their needs, and then he affirmed them while not approving of what they did. And this is very telling. He affirmed the person but not their sin. This is where our sermon actually takes a really cool big loop. Because Jesus is for them, he affirms the person, but not their sin. What was he affirming? He was affirming the image of God in them. They were created in the image of God for a relationship with God, and sin has damaged it. So therefore, they're affirming the image, but not the sin. In fact, it's as if Jesus is saying, I am so for you that I'm going to change this. Your sin is wrecking the image of God in you, and it's wrecking your vertical. So I'm going to call you out of that life of sin, because I'm for you. I won't let this happen. Sin is killing you, and I'm not going to stand by. Look at his interaction with what we would call a sinner in John 8. I think it's going to pop up here for you to read, but let me read it to you. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. He affirms her, but he tells her to leave her life of sin. Why did he call it a life of sin? Because the things going on in her horizontal, this relationship, this adulterous relationship, was damaging her relationship with God. Her horizontal was messing up her vertical, and he's not okay with that because we're made for a vertical, so he calls her out of that. Let me give you another example. In Luke, we read a passage where Jesus talks about a tax collector and a, uh, and a Pharisee both praying. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. 
To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a great distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What just happened here? We have one man, the tax collector, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What's he doing? He's repenting of everything going on in his horizontal that's messing up his vertical. He's repairing the vertical by removing, repenting, and rejecting the horizontal sin. What else is happening at the same time? You got somebody over here, a Pharisee, who is so busy comparing himself to that guy over there and therefore declaring himself holy. Oh, look at me. I'm not like that that he misses the part where this comparison between his horizontals is actually damaging his vertical. One goes home justified, the other self-justified, which is a dangerous place to be. So, what do we do? What's our role in this? Okay, this is where I think it actually starts to get really cool and really exciting. We are actually specifically called to the work of reconciliation to use all of our horizontal relationships. That means your friendships, your family, your skills, your talent, your job, to use all of our horizontal relationships to help others reconcile their vertical. Check out this passage that Paul gives us in 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5 in verse 18 to 20. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Are you hearing this? God has been on an eternal mission to reconcile people to himself. And for some reason, he lets us, the very same ones who messed it up, play a part. He makes us ambassadors of Christ. We get to go on his behalf and implore people, be reconciled to God the exact same way Jesus went to people and asked them to be reconciled to God. So how do we live a life of holiness the way Jesus lived a life of holiness? WWJD, what did he do? What do we do? Well, first, under our vertical, there's a few things we do. Under the vertical, make sure that your relationship with God is right and strong and our number one priority. We recognize that because God is for us, he is against sin in our life, and he's calling us out of it. We take care of our vertical first, because without God, nothing we do can ever be holy, because holiness is only in him. So we need him for any of our actions to be holy. Because remember, Isaiah 64, our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So if you are not yet a Jesus follower, then you come to God through Jesus, and stop trying to be holy on your own. And if you are a Jesus follower, then you fight the sin that tempts you 
And when you do sin, you repent and return to God uh, and reject your sin. You spend time getting to know God through his word, through prayer, and through spiritual disciplines, and then you, collect, you gather together with other believers so you can grow spiritually. That's our vertical. What about our horizontal? What do we do with that? Well, we participate in the ministry of reconciliation. We go to them. We become their friend. If we're able, we meet their needs, and we affirm who they are as the image bearer of God. And because they're made in the image of God, we call them out of a life of sin and into a life of holiness. Now, that doesn't mean you need to go after things in their life. Offer them something better. Offer them Jesus. Offer them the vertical. And that changes everything. Call them to a life of holiness. Call them to the vertical. Holiness is not looking at other people and seeing how we are doing compared to them. Remember the story of the Pharisee? Holiness is looking at our own life in light of God's standards and removing anything that is getting in the way of our relationship with him. And then holiness is going to others, those who need to be reconciled to God, affirming the image of God in them and then calling them to a life of holiness, calling them away from anything in their horizontal that is affecting their vertical. We read a really powerful verse in James chapter 1, verse 27. We read, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's the vertical, okay? That's what you're talking about. Going to the orphans and widows. That's the horizontal. That's this over here, both in this verse. The orphans and the widows in that day were the voiceless and the forgotten in their their society, we have our own voiceless and forgotten in our society. So if you're listening to that, you're like, who does God want me to go to? Maybe start there. Find a voiceless and forgotten group of our society. And I'm going to give you a few examples so you can get your brain going. This is definitely not an exhaustive list. But some of the people I would say who are voiceless and nobody is speaking up for them. Or they can't speak up for themselves. They need somebody else to speak up for them. Uh, people who are homeless. They don't even have an address. How are they going to uh, speak up for themselves? Refugees, for whatever reason. Syrian refugees and refugees all over the world. Uh, the unborn. Um, the, the elderly. There are, there are a whole bunch. I think in, in maybe in our country we could talk about indigenous peoples. Uh, In other countries, there's other racial reconciliation issues. Who are the voiceless that God is calling you to and what are you going to do about it? Why do I say this? Why do I say that this is our role? Because this is where it all started and this is where it all is going to end. Do you remember back in the beginning in the garden? Everything was right and everything was holy. There was no sin. There was no conflict. There was just unity and harmony between holy God and the holy children he created. And then as an extension of that unity and harmony, there was unity and harmony between his children and between them and the natural world. Everything was holy and everything was right. And then we messed it up when we sinned. And we've been living with the consequences of sin ever since. Death wasn't supposed to happen. Cancer wasn't supposed to happen. War, violence, crime, hatred, racism, bigotry, human trafficking, the coronavirus, homelessness, poverty, corruption. None of this is the way it was supposed to be. But God's plan is to reconcile all of it to himself, back to the way it was. And guess what? This is really, really, really cool. That's exactly where it's headed. You see, in the garden, man was on the new earth in relationship with his God. And then when you flip to the end of the book, man is in what's called a new heaven and a new earth 
in relationship with his God. It's where it's all headed. You want to talk about reconciliation? Okay, look at this last passage. It's the second last page of the Bible. The Apostle John is telling us his vision of what he sees and what's going to happen. This is John writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and this is where we're headed. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the springs of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is is our destination, ultimate reconciliation, ultimate holiness, when his will is done on earth as it is in heaven, when his holiness is on earth as it is in heaven, when his worship is on earth as it is in heaven, and when his kingdom is on earth as it is in heaven. Guys, this is where we're headed. This is what's happening, holiness restored. So how are we holy on this earth? We live like Jesus and we go towards where we're going. And here's the best part. This is who you are. You are the holy son or daughter of God if you have come to God through Christ. Okay, there's still that huge disclaimer. But once you come to God through Christ, you are the holy son or daughter of God. This is what we call the already but not yet. We are already positionally holy, but if you look around this world, we still got some reconciling to do, but it's coming. And it's going to be great. So my challenge to us tonight, very simple. How do we live holy? We live like who we are, holy sons and holy daughters of God. And then we live a life that invites others to share in the same reconciliation. How could we not want others to experience this vertical? How could we not go to our coworkers, our classmates, our friends, our teammates, our family, and say, hey, this thing in your life is killing you because you were made for this. So call them to that. Go and live a holy life because thanks to Jesus, you can. It's who you are and it's where you're headed to ultimate reconciliation and enjoyment of a perfect vertical with a holy God. So I implore you, I beg you, just like Paul did, do the ministry of reconciliation. Do the work of reconciliation. Use everything in your horizontal to help the vertical. Live out your horizontal in the reality of your vertical. So, as we wrap up, let's take some time to reflect and to respond. How do we respond to this? Well, I'm going to give you a few ideas. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit is much better at this, so if he's telling you something, listen to him, not me. But, in case you need a little help, here are a few thoughts. First, check yourself. If you have not found your holiness in Jesus Christ, if you're still trying to do it on your own, stop. Come to Christ tonight. There's going to be prayer partners back there. 
They will pray with you about anything, including how to meet Jesus. Establish your vertical. Go back there and let them pray with you and introduce you to Jesus. If you are a Jesus follower, then is there anything in your life, in your horizontal, your relationships, your hobbies, your job, anything, is there anything in your life, in your horizontal, that is messing with your vertical? If so, get rid of it tonight. Go talk to a prayer partner. They would love to pray with you. As you can see, several of them are heading back there now to be available to you. So first, check yourself. Second, if you have not identified with Jesus Christ through baptism, the public declaration that I'm with him, my vertical is more important than my horizontal, and all my horizontals are going to be viewed through the lens of my vertical, do it tonight when we're closing. Just head out these doors and talk to somebody there. You can be baptized tonight. And third, who is God calling you to do the ministry of reconciliation to? Who are the voiceless you're supposed to reach? God is reconciling people and he has invited you to participate. Now, again, if you need some ideas, this church is doing its best to join God on the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus had all the time in the world for children and several of his disciples were teens when he recruited them. Maybe volunteer your time in children's or youth. You wanna talk about the voiceless? There are specific ministries in this church to special needs, to new Canadians, to people who are experiencing homelessness and hunger and many others. I'm not saying this is the answer, but it's a start. Get involved. But through it all, what does God want you to do? Who is God calling you to do the ministry of reconciliation to? And what are you going to do about it? And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can talk to you as our Father, that the sin barrier, the sin problem has been fixed, has been forever finished because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for living, for coming as a servant, being made in fashion as a man, and being found in fashion as a man. You humbled yourself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And God, thank you because of that, that you have exalted him and given him a name above every name so that one day every knee will bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus, thank you for making a way back to God. And as we take some time to listen to what the Spirit is saying and then to obey, I just simply pray, Father, the words of Jude. We pray all this to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you.